Hey, good morning. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Melanie. Um, I am married to Stuart. Between us, we lead this beautiful thing called Real Life Church. Um, I look after uh, kids' work, uh, oversee the youth work, and look after kind of the events that we do in the community. Um, I spend most of my time looking after two small boys and the rest of it doing bits for Real Life Church. I don't know whether you are an X Factor fan or the Voice fan. I don't know whether you're sitting there thinking, I am neither. <laughs> I, um, I was intrigued about the Voice when it came on because I thought it had a really different uh, feel to it. I like the idea that um, a person would be judged based on how they sounded, not what they looked like. So not whether they would be marketable in a pop world, but whether or not they had a voice that would do something to a person and cause them to swivel around in a red chair and vote. So the voice in this country was first aired in March 2012, and its unique selling points were the blind auditions, where the judges would sit with their backs to the contestant, the contestant would come out and sing their heart out, and if the judges liked the sound of it, they would swizzle around in their chair. You could play this at home, it was great fun. You could sit with your back to the TV and only turn around if you liked the sound of them. It was always really interesting. One of them I turned around to, I said to Stuart, she has the most amazing voice. I swizzled around, it was a boy. There were some amazing songs where I just swizzled around because I thought, I love that voice. And what you saw before you wasn't what you were expecting at all. I thought it was a great idea, a competition based purely on voice. So my question is this morning, what is your voice like? If I close my eyes and listen to the song of your life, what would I be hearing? What are the people in your world hearing? Would they hear you crying out to be noticed? Would they hear that you're all about the stuff, you're all about materialism, you're all about the house, the car, the clothes? Would they hear that you're all about you, you're all about your kids, you're all about your job? What is the song of your life? What do the people around you pick up on? What would they turn for? What would they be interested in? What do you sing? And what is your voice like? If you've got a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn to Matthew 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's fine. I'm going to read it out to you. I'm going to read it from the NLT. If you don't own a Bible and you want a Bible and need some help with that, come and grab me at the end. I'll happily help you. If you don't own a Bible and you'd like us to get you one, like come and... I, I just think for the Christian, it's like such a crucial bit of kit I also think if you're not a Christian, it's the best way you can find out about God. Read about him. So I'm going to all listen to him. I'm going to read the whole of Matthew 3. Um, in those days, John the Baptist began preaching in the Judean wilderness. His message was, turn from your sins and turn to God, because the kingdom of heaven is near Isaiah had spoken to John when he said, he is a voice shouting out in the wilderness, prepare a pathway for the Lord's coming, make a straight road for him. Well, John's clothes were woven from camel hair and he wore a leather belt. His food was locust and wild honey. 
people from Jerusalem and every section of Judea, from all over the Jordan Valley, went out into the wilderness to hear him preach. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming judgment? Prove by the way you live that you have really turned from your sins and turned to God. Don't just say we're safe. We're the descendants of Abraham. That proves nothing. God can change these stones here into children of Abraham. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever your roots. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who turn from their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is far greater than I am. So much greater than I am, I am not even worthy to be his slave. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the grain and with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, storing the grain in his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John didn't want to baptize him who can blame him, eh? I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it must be done because we must do everything that is right. So then John baptized him. And after his baptism, Jesus came up out of the water. The heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son and I am fully pleased with him. So John was a voice crying out in the desert. John was a prophetic voice. So John heard stuff from God and communicated it to the people around him. He didn't look at the people around him and think, how will I communicate this? He heard God and he spoke it out. There had been silence for over 400 years. There hadn't been a prophetic word, a prophetic utterance about the coming of Jesus for over 400 years. These were a people who had been relying on what had been said in the past but they had heard nothing recently and then John comes on the scene and he comes with this radical message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is close. What we see of John is he's not fancy, he's not rich, he's not religious, he's wearing nothing that would make him stand out apart from the rest. In fact he's probably wearing the clothes that would he would be judged for. People would look at him and maybe pity him or maybe think, look at the state of him. Why has he not had a haircut? Why is his beard full of honey? And I mean, It's just like a, quite a disgusting picture, isn't it, of a person dressed in kind of camel hair and honey and locusts that are probably, you know, semi-alive and, oh. He came as a voice crying out in the desert, get ready because the kingdom of heaven is close. John had clearly decided that he would be a voice for God, that he would speak out for God. No matter what people thought of him, no matter what people said about him, that he would do this one thing for God. He would tell people God is coming. Imagine if we all decided that 
Imagine in this room, if we said today, what I will do with my life is I will be a voice, and I will tell people that Jesus is coming, and I will tell them every day, and it doesn't matter what I'm wearing, how I've wrapped it up, whether I've got it all sorted, I will let people know that he is coming. That's what John decided to do. Do you know, sometimes you can just read stuff in the Bible where you go, oh, yeah, yeah, John was baptizing loads of people. And if you don't study it, you don't understand the impact of it. So you read a line and you go, oh, yeah, John was baptizing people in the River Jordan. And you go, great, and you move on. And I, like you, have read that chapter many, many times without understanding the significance of John baptizing Jews. So the baptism in John's day and age, the baptism was meant for Gentiles. It was an initiation into Jewish religion. And it was meant for Gentiles to wash away their Gentile scum. It was, they dipped a whole family, they got a whole family together and they ceremonial bathing to say to them, now you're clean enough that we can start looking at you to become a Jew. It was a whole family thing, so you didn't make an individual decision. Your whole family got done if your family wanted to be initiated or investigate the Jewish faith. John was baptizing Jews. What John was saying in a very loud voice is your background, your culture, your history, where you have come from makes no difference to God. John was baptizing individuals and in John's baptism, people were getting down in the water themselves and bringing themselves up. This was not a special person baptizing you. This was you coming into the waters, dipping yourself down and standing back up. This was not for your entire family. This was for individuals who knew they needed to get clean, who knew they needed to be right for a holy God, who knew that the only way to God was through repentance and faith. And Jews in their hundreds were flocking to get themselves sorted out because I imagine they'd worked out that all the sacrificing and all the rituals and all the things that we're doing isn't enough. We still feel dirty. We still feel like we're not right with God. It isn't enough doing all the stuff, measuring out all the things. It's not enough. We need something else. And John was offering the something else He was saying, in this, you can repent of all your sins. And as a picture, you can have all your sins washed away. What I find interesting when I read the story of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, so if you don't read your Bible much or you don't know who these guys are, these guys are the religious guys. So John is dressed in camel hair, beard, honey dripping, locusts. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were dressed in fine robes. They would walk around the place and people would move out the way. These were very, very religious people. These were probably religious people that followed the law to the letter. So everything you read about in the Old Testament, they were keeping to the absolute letter. But what John is saying, those things don't matter. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, you can do all that stuff, 
but it isn't going to make the slightest bit of difference. What I find interesting in this story is John has a massive voice booming out. The Pharisees and the Sadducees say nothing. They stand there while he reprimands them. And he says, you might look all flashy. You might be wearing the right clothes. You might be doing the right job, living in the right home. You might be pleasing God by giving to charity. You might be doing all those things, but on the inside, you don't know him. You don't have a relationship with him. And when the time comes, he will separate you. And he will say, those of you who know me over here and those of you who don't over there. And it will not be enough to say, but I did all these good things. But I wore the right clothes. I carried the right Bible. I listened to the right talks online. I could spout off, as good as anybody else, the right stuff. It will not be enough. And John makes very clear in his message that he is coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. This he will keep and this will go into a fire. And we sometimes read that stuff and go, oh, okay, let's turn that over quickly. We sometimes read that stuff and forget that a God of love must also be a God of judgment and a God of wrath. We like the God, don't we, who, is, who loves everyone and embraces everyone. It makes us uncomfortable, the God that separates and says, you know me, you don't know me. That, that makes us go a bit, like I read it, I was like, oh, ah. And I listened to quite a lot of my Bible. So this particular one I was listening to, the guy who does John's voice is really, he's shouting. So he says, I will separate you. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, sometimes when you do a little salvation prayer just to make sure you're actually saved, I found myself going, Jesus, I do repent of my sins. I am really sorry. I do know you. I do want to be in heaven. He will separate. And I know that sits a little uncomfortable with us, but I think it helps us with our voice. I think it helps us when we understand that there is a day coming where Jesus will say, those of you who know me come this way, those of you who don't go over there. I think it helps us work out what we need to be saying in a world that doesn't know that is the reality. I think it helps us with our family, with our friends, to understand how crucial it is that we communicate the gospel in some way, shape or form. That we don't just be nice to people and then when they get to heaven say, oh, were we really nice to everyone and everyone knew us as a really nice bunch of people. So what? He will separate the wheat from the chaff. And I, even reading it, I felt like that's such a heavy thing in God, but also a really light thing. Because actually we don't save. We are like John, a voice crying out in the desert, he's coming. That's all we are. That's all God's asked us to be is a voice. He hasn't asked us to save anyone. He's asked us to open our mouths and be the voice that will cry out in the desert in any way, shape or form that he is coming. John's message is really simple, and and I believe for us it should be our message. What you need is Jesus. What he was pointing to with his life, with his baptism, with his speech, 
is the one who is coming. What he was saying is, I will baptize you with water, but one is coming who I am not even worthy to untie his sandals. One is coming who will baptize you in the spirit and with fire. One is coming who is far greater than I, who won't be dependent on this one-off baptism to wash away your sins. He will also give you the Holy Spirit. He will also rescue you and save you. He will do the, the finished job on you. As an aside, I want to say to you in this room, if you are not baptized in water, firstly, why not? And I say this with all grace and all compassion and understanding that everybody comes from different backgrounds. This story for me has a few things to say. One of them is we need to be baptized in water and baptism in water is a submission issue. And I'm going to say that again. Baptism in water is a submission issue, which means it's an issue of doing as we're told, which not all of us enjoy. I speak as one who would prefer to be her own boss, enjoys working for myself, likes leading teams, because I enjoy being in charge and I don't enjoy being told what to do. So I say it as one who will sometimes read things and think, ah, okay, God, I will get on with that. I say it as one who sometimes, when I hear someone say, you must do it this way, I want to find every reason why I don't have to do it that way. I want to find every reason why I can do it a different way myself, or a better way myself, usually. Baptism is a submission issue. It's an issue of the heart. And what Jesus was doing when he got baptized is he was saying, be like me. I'm going to do what the Father asked me to do, no matter what it costs me. I will go down into the water and I will come out. Not because I need to have my sin washed away. Like he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. What does he need a baptism for? That he was coming to baptize people in the fire and with Holy Spirit. What does he need to go down into the waters for? Well, he asks everybody else to do it. And he is a servant king who says, watch me. I'll do it, now you do it. I'll show you what to do, and then I'll ask you to do the same too. And I don't know, but if the king of heaven and earth can step down low and say, I get down into baptism waters. To be honest, we want to have a cure of people saying, me too. Mimicking Jesus, being like Jesus. It's why we're called Christians. We're to be like him. We're followers of him. We're little Christs. We're to look like him, mimic him, behave like him, be like him, as he is doing what the Father wants. It's what a disciple is. When you sign up to becoming a Christian, you sign up to being a disciple of Jesus. So he's the teacher, you're the follower. And I know what that's like to sometimes hear him say stuff that you think, well, sorry, but I did this, this, and this. I'm all covered. I think sometimes we just have to hear his voice and be like, okay, God, you have my heart, my obedience will follow too. So if you're not baptised in water, come on, let's sort that out. I'm not suggesting we do it today because I don't have, you know, there aren't even any puddles out in the car park today. But let's get it sorted out. Let's get 
baptized and let's follow and be like him. So you've got this amazing scene where John the Baptist has brought this brilliant message. He's baptizing Jews in their hundreds. He then sees the Messiah come in. He gets to baptize the Messiah. So he's been saying, this is the best prophetic word ever. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is near. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And then Jesus walks out. I just think, man, I would love to say to, you know, bring a prophetic word. And then suddenly the answer of it just walks in. No one would doubt your prophetic gift then, would they? No one would doubt that you actually hear from God. John is saying, he is coming, he is coming, he is coming, and then here he walks. He gets in, he gets baptized by John. And what does Jesus say? What does Jesus do? Well, firstly, Jesus says, everything that John has said is true. He says it by his presence, but he says it by his voice too. Whatever you've heard this guy talking about, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's true. He authenticates John. I love that about Jesus. I love, I love his humility. He didn't even have to make reference to John. He didn't even need to get John to baptize him. It was a baptism where you got in the water and dunk yourself down. He authenticated John's message. What we need to know when we speak out about the gospel, when we communicate it, God is rushing in behind. He authenticates his message in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes just because it makes a connection with someone. Sometimes because the Bible speaks so clearly, so loudly. Sometimes because people are healed. When we step out and bring the message of God, he authenticates it. It's his message. He owns it alongside us. So we will see people saved. We will see people healed. We will see people set free. Because that's the message of the kingdom. And God authenticates his message. Jesus also says that he's all about his father's work. He says it must be done because it's been said that it will be done. And then he spends his ministry life doing everything the father asks him to do. He says, I'm not about my will. I'm about my father's will. I'm about doing everything that he says he wants me to do, including dying on a cross. So there's many times in the Gospels where Jesus will say, I'm about the Father's will. I'm about his purposes, his plans. I serve him. I love him. I'm all about him. It's an amazing thing when you become a Christian and you say, I'm all about Jesus and I'm following after Jesus. Because who you're following after is all about the Father. And he's all about doing his will and seeing his purposes carried out on the earth. It's an amazing thing to join that mission, to be a part of that mission. If you're not saved here today, it is an amazing thing to be a part of. You get to be right with God. You get to have all your sins washed away. You get to get yourself a fresh start, but you get to be caught up in the mission of God on the earth. It is by far the most exciting thing that will happen on planet earth will be the mission of God being carried out until the second coming of Christ comes. Look, I, I, I would just love to be there for that day when Christ wraps it all up and comes home and he says, all of you come now. I, I just think that is what we are in the gap of. 
He's come and he will come again. And we live in the gap. And we need to be letting people know that's the gap we live in. Like Jesus was all about his Father's will, we need to be all about our Father's will on the earth. We need to spend our lives making sure we're doing the right stuff, giving our time to the right stuff. And I'm not suggesting you all give up your jobs and go out street preaching. I'm suggesting that you do your jobs to the glory of God, that you make sure the people around you know that you're saved, that you make sure that the people around you know that they also need to be saved. And you do that in the ways that are in keeping with your personality and what you're like. We do not hide this great light under a bowl because it's too lovely. Like this gospel for people means that their lives are not only set free, but they now have eternity with God. They don't have to face his wrath because Jesus did. They don't have to face the anger of God towards sin because Jesus sorted that all out for them. They don't have to walk around guilty, full of shame, full of hurt. They get to walk around in a life that is in its fullness. It's not always beautiful and pretty and easy, but it is in its fullness. We have within us such a treasure, and it isn't for us to hide away. It isn't for us to keep quiet on. And he comes, Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So he doesn't just come with a water baptism that says, I will wash away your sins. He comes with an empowering. So he doesn't just say to us, off you go, go and tell everybody about me. He says, I will also give you the spirit of me in you. I just think, well, how could we fail the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in me. We sing that, don't we? Same power that conquers the grave. Wannabe worship leader, all right? Uh, lives in me. And we sing it. And we go, yes! And then we walk out and we go, what? Now I can't possibly tell someone that I know Jesus. I can't possibly pray for them if they're sick. Same power. That's what the Bible says. He will come and he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that was available to one-off people for one-off events throughout the whole of the Old Testament, now available to anyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, available to me if I want it. A gift if I want to take hold of it. Something that I can use to tell my friends about Jesus, to tell my work colleagues, to tell my kids, to tell a stranger, to tell anyone that he is real, that he exists. The Holy Spirit, if I want it, to stretch out my hands, lay hands on the sick and see them healed. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I believe that our voice should come out of a place of real salvation, so you should make sure you're really saved. And I don't say that because I want to scare you. I say it because actually, if you really know him, you do not want to keep that to yourself. If you know him and know what it means to be saved, you do not want to keep that a secret. So I would say, even this morning, just go before God and say, 
I love you. I love that you freed me from my sin. I love that you died on that cross in my place for all my wrong. I love that I get to walk around free, forgiven, set free. So we have a voice out of a place of salvation. Make sure you're saved. We have a voice, I think, out of obedience. Some of us are stuck because we're not doing the things that God has asked us to do. And I say us because I include myself in that. Some of us are stuck because we are not doing the things God has asked us to do. So I'm whining a little bit lately to God. I'm having a whine about a few things. I'm whining to God because I, I am supposed to see some outrageous things in the miraculous. It feels to me like I do pray for a lot of people. Some of them get better and some of them get worse. So I'm just putting it out there that it's 50-50 if you get me to pray for you, all right? Um, some people get better, some people get worse. I'm whining about it, but I tell you what, there's been so many times where people have told me I'm sick and they're sick and I've gone, oh, have you been to the doctor? So I'm not stepping out in obedience. God has said to me, you will see amazing things in the miraculous. Have you seen a doctor? Which is a, a valid question. Can I pray for you? It's not falling out of my mouth as often as it should. Therefore, I'm not seeing some of the things I should be seeing. Some of you need to get baptized. Some of you need to pick up your Bible. Some of you just need to do the normal stuff in order to encounter God in an extraordinary way. Sometimes just obedience opens up a whole world we know nothing about because we won't just do as we're told. If you've got kids, I'm always saying to my boys, come on, just do as you're told. And I know God is in the background going, really? That is what you want to bring here, do you? Just do as you're told. And you know with your kids, there is a whole world out there of opportunities when you're sure they can listen and do as they're told. There's a whole host of things they can access and do when you know they can listen and do as they're told. And then lastly, the father speaks. Oh, don't you just love his voice in this story? He opens heaven up and he says, just in case you missed it, that boy down there, he's my son. Just in case you missed it, he's the Messiah. He belongs to me, just in case you missed it. He does it loud enough for everybody to hear and loud enough for his son to hear. He says, with him, I am well pleased. Before he's done any ministry, before he's done any of his, I didn't know if I could get away with this phrase, but before he's done any of his mad cool stuff, before he's done any of the miraculous, before he's done anything of any real significance, before a voice from heaven says, this is my son with him, I am well pleased. Just as an aside, in a world that, in a middle class world that is based on achievement, we have to make sure our kids understand before they do anything, they are loved. Not because they did well at school, not because they listened, not because they did as they were told, not because, blah, 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 blah. Not because they got a star at school, not because they got a privilege, not because they are loved. Full stop the end. We need to know it. 
We need to hear that voice from heaven over our lives before we've done any endeavors out into the world that we are loved. We get to step out on this amazing foundation of truth. Before you woke up, before you broke into a sweat setting up, before you practiced as a band, before the preacher got ready, before you did any of those things, a voice from heaven speaks over your life. If you are saved, you are loved. That's what we tread out on. That's what we tell people about Jesus for. Not because we're going to earn points with God. God doesn't have a star chart. There are no marble jars. We will not get privileges. It doesn't work like that. You are loved because you are loved. It's a foundational truth that we have to get deep down into our souls that we are loved because we are loved by him. We are loved because Jesus Christ dealt with all our sin, all our shame. We're just loved. And we need to step out into that daily. If you're prophetic, you bring a prophetic word, not so that you can be seen as this extremely holy person who hears from God and brings something. You bring it because you are loved and the voice of the one who loves you just spoke to you and asked you to do something. And why he spoke to you and not the person sitting next to you, I don't know. It's definitely not based on how much you read your Bible or how good a Christian you are. It's based on him. We speak out because he speaks first. So I want to encourage us as a local church to be those who know we are saved, who understand the message that John was shouting out as loud as he could, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near I want us to understand that he is returning and in the gap, in the middle, our job is to be voices crying out in the desert. And trust me, it is a desert land out there. It's a wasteland. Look at what people believe. Look at what people are giving their lives to. It's a wasteland. We need to be saved. We need to be sure of the message. We need to be speaking out. We need to be crying out. It's why we want to take our live music out into the streets where hundreds of people are gathering. Because we want to say, by the way, did you know God is real? Not just, have you seen us? We're really cool. Have you seen us? We know how to do church call. Do you know that Jesus Christ is actually real? That he's not irrelevant? That he did not die out? That the church in this nation is not dying out and will never die out. We want to get out there so that we can start saying to people, he is real, why don't you come and meet him? He is real, why don't you look at my life? He is real, why don't you listen to this story? So I want to help us just get ready to open our mouths and get out there a bit more. Some of you are already doing it and you're like, preaching to the choir here, that's fine, carry on. Let's make sure we know we're saved. Let's make sure we're full of the Holy Spirit. Get baptized if you are not baptized. Come and speak to me at the end and say, I just want to get baptized. I just want to mimic Jesus. What he's like, I want to be like. Can you find me some water? There's a really nice lake at the end of the road. I've often wondered about it. Let's stand. We're going to worship and love on our Jesus. And at quarter past ten, 
uh, 12, someone will get up here and let you know that you're okay to go and get your kids. So don't try and take them beforehand, all right? Let's just come before God. That was a real challenge there. Just to submit ourselves to him again. But also it was a challenge that came with great excitement that we get to submit.